Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. In this episode, I interview Joe Christie. He's the public address announcer for Wake Forest. No, David, um, after I left uh, as a student, um, you know, uh, I returned to HPU as an admissions counselor. I was there for a number of years, worked with many students, um, was eventually given the student athlete population. And then um, April of 2019, I just had this, uh, I need to pay attention to my own family kind of moment. I was missing a lot of time with kids and my wife who coaches uh, club soccer full time was having difficulty um, was having difficulty getting everywhere she needed to be. And um, uh, for her team that she coaches and for our kids. And so it's a situation where I said, uh, I can make a change to healthcare. I had some friends already make the leap, uh, friends in common at HPU and others outside. And uh, so that's what I did. And uh, that path to healthcare took me to where I am today. I'm a physician liaison with Core Life Novant Health. Um, I manage a lot of provider relationships uh, in the Greensboro um, and High Point in Winston-Salem or the greater Piedmont triad market, if you will. Um, and, and basically, um, you know, my job is to make it easy on providers who want to refer to CoreLife. CoreLife is actually a Maryland-based company uh, that does all the obesity medicine for Novant Health. Um, but what the move to healthcare also helped me accomplish, David, uh, very simply was um, the ability to maybe hone a little bit more of the hobby that I'm really passionate about. And, and I think it's why you have me chatting with you today. But um, public address uh, has become more than a hobby now. It's, it's become a sort of semi-profession. And uh, I've been very, very fortunate to do a number of big tournaments um, across many sports, and not just college basketball, but soccer and now lacrosse and um, a handful of other things. And I'm really excited about where it could potentially take me. Um, you know, I've got some some recent news. I know you know about it. A lot of people close to me know about it. But after 17 years, I am moving on from HPU. And uh, it was a wonderful time there. And I actually, uh, I involved those folks in um, all of the, the conversations, if you will. But um, Wake Forest University has brought me on to be their new voice of the Demon Deacons. And I am very, very excited for that as we're approaching uh, the start of volleyball season. Girls are in camp. Uh, I spoke with uh, one of the assistant coaches uh, just the other day. Uh, there's my there's my not-so-brief intro for you, David. So talk about growing up in Maryland. Oh, man. Um, you know, I was just there a couple weeks ago. That'll help me uh, greatly uh, kind of conjure up some of the memories. Um, I, was, I was in East Baltimore. Um, you know, people people say where in East Baltimore, and I'll say Highland Town because they know that part of the city pretty well. Um, but uh, Dundalk, I guess more specifically, uh, is where both of my parents um, were born and raised, and they did not move any more than about six or seven miles away from where the two of them grew up. So I was very close to their childhood homes. And uh, I had a great upbringing. Um, I went to uh, a, a little private parochial school on uh, our side of the city. It was called Sacred Heart of Mary um, and uh, had a wonderful uh, foundation laid for me in, in, a, in a very safe setting. Uh, it was a co-ed setting. Um, and I ended up at Archbishop Curley High School uh, for uh, my high school years. I had a great soccer and baseball career there. 
Um, in fact, my senior year, we finally uh, got over the hump against our, our big uh, in-state and MIAA. Uh, it was MSA back then, Maryland Scholastic Association. Now it's MIAA. And, uh, but our big rival, Calvert Hall, that a lot of people are very familiar with. Um, soccer was the big sport at both schools at that point in time and both storied programs. And we finally got over the hump and we beat them in front of about uh, 3,000 people at, at CCBC Essex uh, in, the, in the state title game uh, for the private schools. And that was, it was awesome. Um, didn't have any baseball moments like that, but had a steady career. And actually my baseball career took off uh, when, when I just happened to get with the right summer team, um, I became uh, what they call, David, a PO, pitcher only, uh, because I had a lot of difficulty uh, hitting balls that, that bent and, uh, and, and bended and slid and curved. So <laughs> uh, fastballs were great. Breaking balls and change-ups and things that moved were not. So uh, became a pitcher only about my junior year in high school and, and, and got with uh, the eventual amateur state champion in, in Maryland. And we went on to uh, go up to New York to sectionals and then a regional. And uh, I went two straight summers to the Connie Mack World Series in um, Farmington, New Mexico. Still talk to my, my host family out there that I lived with uh, both, both of the summers that I went. And um, that really laid the groundwork for me to have a, a career to pitch at High Point University that started recruiting me. Love Baltimore, close to my heart, and uh, it's uh, it, it was good to me growing up. Nice. What made High Point the right school for you? And during your playing career, I know they changed from NAI to D2. I think might even have been independent Division One. What noticeable differences in travel or competition, if any, did you notice? Oh, yeah. You, you have done your homework, haven't you? Um, I was recruited as an NAIA baseball player. We were NAIA when I came in. Uh, there was no mention of moving up. Um, but what I knew was uh, there were a couple of, of um, baseball players in Baltimore, very good players from very prominent families. Um, and, and I'll mention a few of them. Uh, but they were headed to this conference in the NAIA to play baseball. Uh, and, and all I knew was it was a good baseball conference. High Point was in the South. Uh, it's got to be better to play in warmer weather than in colder weather. And so uh, I, I went down and took a look at it. I actually looked at four schools. I'll, I'll come clean on that. Um, Mike Gottlieb at Towson uh, was recruiting me. Um, and that was the only choice um, that I had that per to perhaps stay at home. And uh, then North Carolina State was not recruiting me, but I had a throwing partner who had played there. And his dad was actually um, working with me individually. He was sort of um, an upper level individual pitching coach. Um, I actually just heard from my dad about this guy today. He called me while I was eating. Um, and uh, he said, hey, I, I just uh, I went to an appointment and I, I found this guy. And you won't believe it. He knows Brian Bark and he called him on his phone. So Brian Bark actually um, he played for the Boston Red Sox. He had a cup of coffee with them, um, even though the bulk of his career was spent with the Atlanta Braves in the minor leagues. Um, but when, when he moved over to Boston, the Red Sox actually called him up uh, briefly, but his father, Jerry Bark, um, RIP to Jerry, uh, bless him. Uh, he worked with me individually for a few years when I would come home from college in the off season, he would actually be the one that would start up my throwing program again. And, uh, but um, I, I say all that because honestly, they were 
who got me, you know, outside of my dad and a, and a handful of, of some other coaches, they were who got me where I needed to be in order to have an opportunity um, to even play in college. And so it was a situation for me um, that uh, I had to work hard, right? I wasn't this uh, huge imposing figure, uh, you know, six foot plus with, you know, great, great body, then they'll teach me the rest. I had to, uh, as, a, as a smaller guy, really kind of work for everything uh, that I was given. And so I was fortunate once I started being recruited, um, very excited to uh, take on the opportunity to visit a, a handful of schools in the last two outside of NC State. And I mentioned NC State and looped in Brian Barkas because that's where he played. Um, and that's, so that was the connection there. He actually um, he, he hooked me up with a, a, a coach visit there uh, when I went to visit the school as well. But Elon and High Point were the two schools that I saw on the rest of that trip. So we looked at three schools down south and High Point just felt right. Um, you know, working at admissions for as long as I did there, I went back to that a lot. Uh, as I sat and talked to prospective students and their families in an interview room after they would tour, I would ask them, does this feel like the right place for you? And if it does, it's okay to act on those feelings and research a little bit more and take the next steps to apply and so forth and so on. And um, when I visited, it, it was um, the coaching staff felt right. Jim Spate and Brian Kemp um, uh, were, were both the right people for me at that point in time in my career. Um, looking at my baseball career at High Point, I would have liked them to have pushed me a little bit more, uh, but that's okay. And, uh, and, and some of that, you know, I should have done um, from, from an uh, initiation standpoint anyway on my part. Um, we all need to work harder uh, at our craft. And, and I think I just got comfortable and they were comfortable with me and I was working, um, but I wasn't being pushed. And so um, that's something I would have liked to have had maybe a little bit more from their side of it. But um, the, the players I met, uh, I'll never forget, Brandon Rush was the first player I met. He's one of my catchers. And uh, I still talk to Brandon to this day. In fact, I called, uh, I called, as you know, the, the uh, 2023 New York Life ACC men's basketball tournament in Greensboro. Last year, I split it with a good friend, Trip Durham, who's the uh, voice at Cameron Indoor for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, but um, lo and behold, I have North Carolina uh, and Virginia, uh, uh, night game, primetime television, and who is in the house? I get a Facebook message from Brandon Rush, who's the first guy I ever met on the High Point campus. He was a, a sophomore at the time. Uh, when I was making my college visit and uh, he was super to kind of take me in, um, show me what his residence hall was like. He was in Finch Hall at the time at High Point, still there and still smells the same. And uh, it was a situation where uh, I just was really comfortable with him and, and the, the other guys I met on the team in the cafeteria and such. So um, High Point became it. I was totally focused on it. I was excited to go away uh, from home, kind of leave behind and find something new. Um, and I think that was a part of um, something cool for me, too, just this realization moment of um, finding my personality, finding, um, you know, my purpose, um, meeting people for the first time, um, you know, outside of my comfort zone and, and people that did not have a lot of things in common from me. Right. I was this city boy. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people when I got to High Point in, in fall of 94 that were uh from the country <laughs> it was just interesting um to me the the dynamic and and the change and so um we we did move we progressed um my my junior year 
from NAIA to uh, Division II, the entire conference moved. We were sort of swallowed up, if you will, as uh, every school said uh, that it was some kind of a vote taken from what I remember. And every school moved up into uh, the, the NCAA Division II uh, ranks. And uh, we played Division II my junior year. But lo and behold, did I know that High Point independently was submitting an application to move to Division I, to the Big South Conference. This was not really talked about much uh, until uh, the athletic director at the time, um, Jerry Steele, uh, and, and he was going to be the outgoing athletic director. Woody Gibson, the incoming athletic director. Woody was on staff as the men's soccer coach. But um, as they were kind of um, working with President Jacob Martinson, who preceded Nito Cobain, who's there now, uh, they were getting all this paperwork set and, and approved to send into the NCAA to move to Division I uh, ranking. And, and um, they had a big meeting with us, all the athletes together. I remember that uh, in the Millis Athletic and Convocation Center. And they told us uh, that we were going to move to Division I, uh, kind of out of nowhere. Um, I had no business being a Division I baseball player, I can tell you that. Uh, but it did make everybody kind of raised their level. We knew, in fact, that they were going to recruit um, coaches, having having known some of this maybe before us, that uh, some of our jobs could be on the line, right? Maybe I don't make the team uh, my senior year, which would have been awful. I did, um, and I was happy to be be captain, and I think I, I played a pretty good role um, doing my part on the mound as well. But, um, you know, it, it, was, it was definitely an interesting journey to have seen three different levels of uh, of play during my time at HPU. I know you majored in sport management. What types of internships did you have? And mm-hmm. what did a, a 20-something-year-old Joe Christie aspire to be? You know, I came to High Point, an English communications major, because I thought I wanted to go into sports broadcasting. But High Point had nothing of that sort of major at the time when I came in, English communications was the closest thing. So I get into English communication and, you know, David, I was very naive. Um, You know, everything was so structured at a private high school. Um, I'm I'm taking my courses and I had an advisor, but, you know, I'm signed up for all these literature courses. You know, I'm just, and I was good. I can read, I can, I can spit back to you, you know, what I, what I read, you know, very good comprehension and, and, now I'm a good writer. I don't think I was anywhere near as good of a writer then. Um, I fancy myself a better writer because of all the speaking that I do. But um, it was a situation where I'm sitting in class and I'm in these literature, literature heavy courses, reading books and, you know, doing reports and, and all kinds of things on this chapter and that chapter and the, this protagonist and so forth and so on. And I'm going, this is not what I want to be doing in English communications. Uh, where is the radio? Where's the TV? Where is that sort of stuff? And, um, you know, they existed, those programs existed really well, right? At, at, at larger schools, uh, University of Maryland, Syracuse University has a great school of communication and several others. And, um, and here I was at tiny little high point liberal arts school, and I'm taking all these literature courses. Well, little did I know, at that point in time, I could look back as an admissions counselor and sort of laugh at myself. I was in core course curriculum, man. I was taking gen eds. Those were the literature courses that I was dumb enough to talk with my advisor about and say, yeah, sign me up for those. Um, and so 
it was a situation where I wasn't quite to the point where I could take what I wanted to take. Um, but when I was ready for all of that, um, I realized the sport management degree might get me to where I needed to be a little bit quicker. And, and I was more into the business of sports at that point in time. Things like um, working in a front office and being a general manager, perhaps, of a baseball team were, were items that had crossed my mind. And so um, I went the sport management route. Now it did help Woody Gibson I was close with and Woody became the, um, the department chair for sport management for a period of time. And um, it, it was a good home for me. Uh, I felt at home with the curriculum. Uh, it came easy to me. And um, I, I did a lot of things, um, I, I think, to grow the program at least a little bit. Um, I was, <laughs> I'll pat myself on the back. I was sport management senior of the year um, in 1998 when I graduated. But um, as far as internships go, I started with the Carolina Monarchs in the American Hockey League. Uh, they were the precursor to uh, what Raleigh now has as the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, the, the Monarchs played in the Greensboro Coliseum. And uh, I, I got fixed up with um, going over to interview for an open internship position they had. I met a sales guy. His name was Mark. And um, after about 10, 15 minutes of chatting it up, he was like, yeah, man, come on board. <laughs> I, I basically, this was my internship. Um, I don't know that many still work like this, but I literally flipped through a telephone book, a regular, really thick, you know, 8,000 page or however many pages it was, telephone book, looking at businesses to call to ask if they wanted, um, you know, any kind of a corporate package or a season ticket package for the Carolina Monarchs. That's what I was doing uh, with about three other people. Um, now, it was odd because it was the off season, right, for a hockey team. Um, that's about what goes on outside of selling um, ads, uh, signage, uh, dashboard, uh, marketing ads, things like that, um, that, that go along the, the, the boards that you see a lot on TV in the NHL. And so uh, the heavy hitters, the full time people were working on those types of things. They just had us sort of doing the dirty work. Uh, but what was interesting was that. Peter Carmanos, the then owner of the uh, Hartford Whalers, decided at that point that summer to move the Hartford Whalers south to uh, to Raleigh eventually. But the first couple of years, they were going to play in the Greensboro Coliseum. And uh, the Monarchs lease was set up so that if a team from a higher league and the only higher league than the, NA than the AHL at that point was the NHL, uh, came in that the Monarchs had to vacate the building and yield to the higher league team, which uh, was the Hartford Whalers coming down to uh, then rebrand themselves as the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and so uh, we vacated the building and uh, they moved to New Haven, Connecticut, actually became the beast of New Haven. And they gave every single employee the opportunity to relocate to New Haven. I thought that was very cool and, and, and very nice. That, that's not something ownership had to do. Uh, but every full-time employee that wanted to go up to New Haven and be a part of that franchise could be. Anyway, um, I had to find another internship because I hadn't completed my hours. So I go back and chat with Woody Gibson. He says, well, what ideas do you have? And I said, well, honestly, I think the two baseball teams in the area may fit me best. I called the Greensboro Bats first, spoke with John Fry, their general manager, and uh, that was that. I ended up completing my internship with the Greensboro Bats 
they were then a Yankees affiliate. They're now the Greensboro Grasshoppers, and they're a Pirates affiliate. And um, it led to a great relationship, honestly, with that franchise. Uh, I had a teammate at High Point, Chris Frazier. He was the official scorer uh, part-time for the bats. He would fill in for the full-time guy, Ogie Overman. Uh, and uh, there was uh, honestly one more summer after I started with the bats and, and Ogie kind of threw his hands up and said, I'm done. I can't do 71 home games anymore. And uh, they said, you love baseball. Do you want to do this? And I said, I'd love to help you guys out. And so uh, then that started sort of a, an eight year or so run of being the official scorer for the Grace Pro Bats, uh, really because of my baseball background. So um, it was it was a, a really good thing for me to complete my internship there and certainly graduate from HPU with my degree. But um, I, I think you'll agree with me when I say I've come full circle back to broadcasting and back to what I thought I might want to do uh, with this public address gig that, that that I do now. Absolutely. You know, I know you began working in the admissions office at High Point. But I'm curious, when did you start calling games for High Point, and who were some of the announcers you looked up to? Uh, that's a great question. Um, there, there were several announcers. I've always seemed to notice some of the background things that go on at games when I was growing up. Um, I go to Oriole games at Memorial Stadium. Memorial Stadium was about two and a half miles from my high school. And uh, Rex Barney was the Orioles' public address announcer. And um, he... he he was one that um, I heard a lot of things about, um, certainly as a player. He played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, was a pitcher, um, and, and so a good player in his own right, but somebody who just said, I want to be a part of the game still, and he became a public address announcer. Um, you know, there were a couple other local Baltimore guys. We had an indoor soccer team called the Blast. They actually still exist, um, which is amazing. They play out um, in, in, in Towson Secu Arena now. Um, but, uh, growing up, they had an announcer and, and I got, I don't want to say inspiration. Um, uh, but you know, I, I heard him so much. We had season tickets, uh, because they were the only game in town when the Colts left. And so my dad needed something to do. He, he was a 26 year season ticket holder for the Baltimore Colts. And when they left, he was looking for something to do with me, uh, as I'm an only child. And so we ended up with season tickets to soccer since I played and, um, and we would go down to the arena and, um, and, and so the public address guy, his name escapes me. I'll, I'll probably remember it. Bill Ross. There you go. See, it just jumps in your head. Uh, Bill Ross was the public address guy for the blast and his style, I think is what caught a lot of people because, um, a, a sort of niche sport like indoor soccer, which is really, um, it was a minor league sport, but they were drawing some major league talent at that point early in its infancy, because there were a lot of. Um, international players trying to find a way to get over here to play professionally. And that was their end. But um, Bill Roth was sort of a showman and uh, he would sort of take over player introductions and um, different times things would happen in the game and you know, the ball would go out after somebody would take a really hard sort of rocket shot. And as it failed out, he'd say, go kick. And then whoever the team, whether it was the blast or the opposing team. And so, you know, stuff like that stays with you. You hear things like that as a child. And, um, you know, uh, but, you know, the 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 one who um, really gets to me and my heart and my soul is Bob Shepard. 
uh, former New York Yankees announcer, legendary announcer. You talk about public address. Um, you, you hear a lot of Bob Shepard um, analogies. Everybody likes to do their own version of, uh, you know, shortstop number two, Derek Jeter, number two. Um, mine's not very good. Um, if, if I can muffle myself on a microphone, it sounds better. But Bob Shepard, um, he was a, he was a professor uh, in college, a speech pathologist, and um, and and talked a lot about public speaking. And the biggest thing, which I still hold as a part of of one of my mantras, if you will, when I talk to people about being a public address announcer, uh, the biggest thing to him was get the name correct. The pronunciations of the names of the people that you're calling in front of you, they deserve it. They've gotten to that level. And, and his level was much different than, than mine has been, right, the last 17 years. But as I've progressed and gotten larger tournaments, I want to get the names right. Their families are probably there. If they're not there, they're watching on TV or they're listening somewhere on a live stream. Um, these players have earned the right to have their names said correctly. Uh, and so I'm going to do that. And so, you know, you take things from a Rex Barney, you take things from a Bill Roth, even if it's not the same exact thing that he said or or they said. Um, you take things from Bob Shepard like that to hone your own skills. Um, you know, that was something that 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 was an influencer on me. Um, now, how did I get to public address? <laughs> That's a really weird story. And you may have heard it before. I don't know if we've discussed it uh, full length, but um, just briefly, when we moved to Division One, women's basketball played on Wednesday night. And you and I both know Wednesday night at High Point was chapel night. And Dr. Hal Warlick was the public address announcer for the women. Uh, he was uh, our campus chaplain and department of the religion and or, uh, department chair for religion and philosophy on campus. And then Pat Hahn was the men's basketball announcer at the time for Jerry Steele. He was a professor um, in, uh, well, eventually the School of Business, but in that, back then the HR department, Human Relations. And um, I actually uh, had Pat Hahn for class before graduating HBU. I never had Dr. Warlick, but we've got to be good friends. And um, that's due in part because Wednesday nights, due to chapel service, he could not make a big South Conference women's basketball game. And we had games on Wednesday nights in the Big South. Uh, so they came forward and they asked if someone would be willing. And as a student, I, I worked the first couple of games uh, as a senior. Somehow they did not interfere with baseball season. And we did play a slightly lighter schedule back then. Uh, when I played, we didn't have these massive 60-plus game schedules that they have now. Uh, and so I had a couple of Wednesday nights available. I said I'd be willing to do it, and lo and behold, Joe Christie was on a microphone uh, as a senior at High Point in 1998, filling in, and uh, one thing led to another, and as I sort of progressed and I stayed in admissions uh, when they needed to fill in, um, and then when I became sports information director in 2001 for a brief run, uh, I did a lot of public address, and uh, that that sort of got me started in the business, and I really liked it. I know you became the liaison for athletics while you were with admissions. Do you feel like that helped yeah. you in regards to having a relationship with the student athletes? I know you said get the names right. I'm sure that helped with getting the names right. Uh, but also, 
do you feel like that helped you with the public address announcing? It helped me greatly. Um, I love to understand the personalities of the players, right? You've got players that are quiet. You've got players that um, have a lot of personality. You've got players that are somewhere in between. Um, they might be quiet at first, and then once you get to know them, they open up. Uh, that was really cool for me to get to know the player from the get-go. Um, and it's something that I've actually uh, made a really big um, uh, play for and, and put an emphasis on with my future at Wake Forest. Uh, talked to uh, the gentleman that hired me. His name is Lonnie Penner. He's director of fan experience over at Wake. And um, uh, he knows that I want to have a relationship with the coaching staff and with the players on the team. Um, I mentioned how big of a part that played while I was at High Point in undergraduate admissions and understanding these personalities. Um, I know when I can use the nickname when somebody goes to the line to shoot free throws and it not throw them off uh, versus uh, using someone's proper name. Uh, and, um, and it makes it fun. It makes it, uh, I think, relatable for the fans to the players and likewise the players to the fans. You've got a lot of NIL stuff that's working its way into games now. Um, I'm interested to see maybe where that goes with some of the stuff that I may do in the future. Uh, but you're going to have, um, you know, men and women at the college level who are building a brand for themselves. And they're going to want to be called whatever it is that they want to be called. And I'm going to have to call them that, uh, whether it's a proper name or nickname or, or whatever it might be. And so um it, it, it did give me a, a sort of a hand up uh, to uh, or a head start, if you will, to get to know the players and their families and what they might want. Um, but it also allowed me to speak very easily with them. Uh, they were confident and, and um, it, it, certainly they respected my position on campus, but uh, they knew they could have a conversation with me about it. And, uh, and, and all that came easy. Uh, once we started, once we started the athletic seasons, um, I knew what they wanted and, and they were able to very easily verbalize what it was that they wanted. You know, high points come a long way since your time as a student athlete to being the public address announcer in recent years. Who are some of the coaches that you've bonded with and developed our friendship with over the years? Uh, th that's a great question, Mike. Uh, uh, Esposito is one that comes to mind right away. I actually just saw him, David, when I when I picked up my son from baseball camp. Um, Espo is the longest tenured coach at HPU now. Um, he being, uh, of course, the um, track and field uh, coach. I think he's still the associate right over the women, but um, they, they've got, they've split that out a number of times um, between cross country and track and field because I think from Title IX purposes and, and some other reasons, you know, Mike Esposito couldn't be over everything, but um, he's a track and field guy, but man, he loves baseball. And uh, we talk about a lot of things, but he's really passionate about high point. And he's a Winston-Salem native. Um, he's in the Mount Tabor High School Hall of Fame and uh, really got a lot of things going um, over at Wake Forest on the track and field side early on for them as well. So um, Mike's one that I've bonded with that I don't necessarily do any events for, uh, which is kind of interesting. Um, certainly a number of basketball coaches over the years. Um, you and I both uh, got to catch up with Bart Lundy at the College Basketball Invitational um, last spring at the end of basketball season. It was great to catch up with Bart, who's now the, the head coach at UW-Milwaukee. You know, after um, Bart departed. We had Scott Cherry, and and I was, 
I would say close with Scott. We had a good relationship, um, but I think he liked some of the flair that uh, that I gave to um, you know what I did with the with the players individually. He actually he chuckled every time uh, I said number fifty. Say it with me, Cruz Daniels. I used to introduce Cruz that way uh, in the starting lineup, and he liked it so much. I guess Cruz didn't want his nameplate off of his locker after he graduated. So Scott called me up one day in the admissions office and he asked if I wanted Cruz Daniels nameplate because I, of the way I said his name. And I did have it. I took it for a, a while and then I gifted it away to someone. I can't remember who else wanted it, but uh, you know, but you know, basketball doing, doing the games for so long, you do get close and, and Tubby was great. Tubby Smith, we had for a few years and, um, you know, he was just, uh, he was genuine. He was, he was a genuine um, old school coach. Um, but that coach that would go down the scorers table every game and give everybody work in a pound. And, and if he didn't know you, he'd introduce himself and expected you to do the same. There are very few coaches that do that now. Um, you know, I've worked with um, a, a, a ton of other coaches doing my larger events. We've had Jay Wright, we've had Bobby Hurley, we've had um, Jim Beheim, um, you name it. And, and those guys don't do that any longer. Um, and, and that's sad because it, it, it is a treat when you get to work um, and, and you have arguably, you know, what's one of the best seats in the house for a big game. And um, you really have zero interaction with, with the players or the coaching staff. Um, I did a number of her games and she's now the head women's soccer coach at Charlotte uh, for the 49ers, but Brandy Fontaine, uh, got to be really close with her. And in fact, a number of our women's soccer coaches over the years, because my wife is an alum of the program. Uh, and then certainly um, on the baseball side, Craig Cozart for a long, long time, storied uh, coach after uh, Sal Bando and Phil Meyer. Um, Phil Meyer, the old pitching coach at High Point, actually one of my neighbors about six houses down the street. Uh, but, um, you know, the, the, the coaches were, they were wonderful to me with all of the growth that we experienced at High Point, they knew it was really, um, uh, 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 we were in a drag race, right? It wasn't a marathon. It was an all on full out sprint to get to where everyone expected us to be with the type of money that Dr. Cobain was putting into campus, the facilities that had come along in the last 20 years. Um, and there was pressure on the coaches, you know, to recruit and to get kids in. And they did not have some of the luxuries that um, a lot of our competitor schools had, um, for instance, they couldn't stack scholarships. And as an admissions person, having to deliver that message every year, particularly to new coaches that were seemingly unaware of the fact that they could not stack academic and athletic monies together, that's stacking, um, they, they really weren't aware that they couldn't do that. And so um, it, that broke the seal quickly. <laughs> and uh, got things rolling with any any coaches that needed to have a, a relationship with me. And I think it somewhat eased their minds a little bit in knowing that, one, I was a former alum of the athletic department, my wife uh, likewise, and, and that, two, I was on their side because, you know, here I am going to work their games um, the majority of the time. And so uh, it was great to, to have some of the relationships that I had uh, with the coaches over the years at HPU. There's only 360 or so PA announcers working D1. Yeah. Do you get to know any of the other ones 
at you know different conferences, uh, networking opportunities. I know obviously you don't go to their game uh, per se, but do you get to know any of the others? Um, you know that's a rare opportunity because we don't travel. <laughs> PA guys don't travel. Um, but yeah, no, certainly I have because I have understood that that's part of the game. And when you get asked to work larger events or tournaments or uh, to do a conference tournament, um, you're going to be working with other people who um, are incredibly professional and incredibly talented and who quite honestly may have some things that might be good ideas um, for, for me to steal. Um, and and I, I shouldn't say steal. I don't mean it that way, but we all share some best practices from time to time. And uh, it's very helpful. Um, so I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, Trip Durham. Um, Trip is uh, the voiceover at, at Cameron Indoor for the Duke Blue Devils. Uh, he does football and he did women's basketball for a period of time. And they've decided, as I think um, it's gaining a lot of momentum, uh, they've decided to go with a female voice for women's basketball. Uh, in Cameron, and he was completely okay with that. He actually um, uh, was a part of the decision-making process for that, as I understand it. And um, but Trip um, Trip does you know men's home games for Duke, and who wouldn't want that job? Um, I've got a, a couple others in the area. I'm, I'm replacing one that that sort of has a legendary status over at Wake Forest, Jeffrey Griffin. Uh, Jeffrey was in place at Wake for 22 years. He did football, field hockey, men's and women's soccer, men's and women's basketball, uh, even did some tennis uh, and filled in for baseball. Uh, he did virtually everything. So um, it's a situation uh, that uh, I know the role is big that I'm, I'm trying to, to step into, right? Uh, Jeffrey did a great job for a long time. And there were things that I picked his brain about. Um, got to work with uh, the Charlotte 49ers PA guy, uh, Billy, uh, down in uh, Charlotte at uh, the Big South Conference Tournament, um, and got to work with uh, a handful of guys at Bubbleville. I was one of uh, a, a few uh, public address announcers that they brought up to the Mohican Sun when college basketball had the joint effort with the Naismith Hall of Fame and the Gazelle Group that I do some events for and a few others that uh, opened the 2021 season um, uh, in Uncasville, Connecticut at the casino and the arena where the Connecticut soul play. So um, that was interesting and um, certainly got to share some things with, with some folks that, you know, you might work two or three games and then you're off for the rest of the day, but you couldn't stay and watch the games. You had to go right back to your hotel room. You had to test uh, for COVID and, and a number of other things, but um you know, Trip, I bounce a lot of stuff off of, um, and, uh, and and Jeffrey, I certainly did in the past. Um, my goal is to really get out and network a bit more. There are some former public address announcers that I've been able to uh, certainly uh, exchange some things with, and, and one is at High Point University teaching. His name is Jim Scott. Jim had uh, the Greensboro Bats slash Grasshoppers for a long time. He was a DJ on 98.7 here in the triad for a long time, and uh, he's done a number of other things. He's actually, um, he's called an NHL game. He's called an MLS game. Uh, he's done a number of other things um, aside from minor league baseball. And so Jim's got a pretty vast resume and um, I, I like to pick his brain on some things, but he loves my style. He's been very complimentary of me 
even uh, just coming now as a fan uh, when he's got students in the stands who are who are there for um, class purposes, you know, observing and doing some things with marketing and um, even myself from time to time, they, they um, chat with me about my prep and um, sit behind me during the game and kind of observe what I do. But Jim uh, has been awesome. So, uh, you know, I, I actually got, I got the goal to um, research and then send an email to Alan Roach, David. I don't know if you know who Alan Roach is, but most of America has listened. He likes to be called Roach. Um, most of America has gotten to listen to him for the last 16 or so Super Bowls. And, uh, and he does uh, quite a number of other events. Um, he's a full-time guy for the Colorado Avalanche and the Denver Broncos. Uh, so he's, uh, he's in Colorado, uh, but uh, he gave me some great advice. Um, he said, do everything you can. If you get invited to do an event, even if it's for free, do it. Make the connection, shake the hands do as professional of a job as you can do and do it right. Um, but be you and, uh, and see what comes out of it. And he said, that's exactly how he got to do his first Super Bowl. Um, it wasn't free, obviously he got paid to do it, but he took another gig, um, calling a game. I can't remember what it was, but he didn't get paid for it. But the guy who hired him to do his first Super Bowl was at that game and said, this is our guy right here. And, um, and so Alan Roach, uh, really cool dude, um, really excited to uh, maybe bounce some things off of him in the future. And then uh, another guy that I, I really look up to, and um, he, he has not, um, he has not met me, he's probably never heard of me unless Jason Benetti, who's uh, a good radio announcer, uh, friend that we have in common. Um, uh, who was at high point for a number of years, but who's now with the Chicago white Sox, and he does college basketball for ESPN. But Jason, uh, I have tried to break through and, uh, and, and, and get to this gentleman, but Gene Honda is the public address announcer for the Chicago white Sox. Uh, he also does the big 12 basketball tournament and he also does the final four. Um, Gene is the voice of the final four and um, I would love at some point to replace him I don't know if that'll ever happen but that's my goal in life um, I've got a few people at the NCAA offices that I think can maybe help me but I want to talk to Gene about uh, knowing that he's in good hands if he ever wants to step down but no certainly want to pick his brain as well um, Gene's been at it for a long long time he does uh, more than what I just uh, introduced him to do, but um, he's kind of who I look up to, but uh, he doesn't know that I exist yet. He will soon. I'll get to him in some form or fashion, and hopefully we'll be able to exchange some notes. Yeah, you talked about uh, the Gazelle Group and some of the other companies you've worked for, uh, worked events for, the ACC, North Carolina yeah. Independent School, Athletic Association, obviously High Point. How does someone in your industry get noticed by other schools and companies? Do you send out demos and sizzle reels, or how does it go? Yeah, it, that's actually been, um, uh, it's a great question. It's something that's been very difficult for me to answer. Um, I have tried to network um, through a number of people, right? And, and the first thing for me to try to find out is who's running the event. And if I can figure out what company is putting on the event, I can usually get to their person that hires the staffing for the scorers table. And, and that has been um, the, the, the toughest challenge is to get to know those people uh, because they don't know me from anybody else. You know, I could be 
um, Joe Schmo off the street who um, doesn't have any experience outside of, uh, uh, you know, middle school basketball at the YMCA or something along those lines. They don't know what I do, what I call. I can say all I want, you know, about my resume and what I what I've done before. But until they hear me uh, live and in person, um, they they may not care one bit. Um, but it, it once you start getting in with a handful of the folks that put on the events, um, like for instance, Gazelle Group, who did pick me up for uh, quite a few of, of the events that they do each year, you start to learn the other people um, at Kemper events in Chicago and um, who's putting on those tournaments because the people at Gazelle are bouncing ideas off of the people at Kemper, right, to make their event better. Uh, and, and so, you know, if you're doing the, the Maui Invitational, uh, to a certain level, right, then obviously Gazelle wants to know what they could do to make the Sunshine Slam in Florida better. Uh, it's at a small venue, similar venue, you know, and, and so how can we make it what you guys have out there in, in Hawaii? And so uh, they tend to know each other and run in the same circles. So I try to stay close to them. And uh, if I have a question, I usually bounce it to my Gazelle contact, uh, who maybe can get me to the right person for that event crew if, if, um, if I don't know them personally already. But that's exactly um, how I've gone about it. Now, if they want me to take it a step further and send some uh, uh, saved materials that, that it, you know, um, are recordings of what I've done, um, certainly I've done voiceover work, but I record a good bit of, of what I might do, especially in the larger venues. I think there's value to that because of the acoustics and the crowd and um, some of what I can maybe impact um, in a game of that magnitude, then um, certainly I send that along, yeah. And uh, it's helped. It's helped. It's helped me land uh, a couple things. I think that's really how the ACC had to re recruit me. But then they came and listened to me in person to make sure I was really <laughs> sounding like that guy that sent them the information. So, um, yeah, it's good. It's 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 good to meet people and network like that to to potentially help yourself. I like it. You know, recently, as you mentioned, you departed High Point for Wake Forest, uh, Big South up to the ACC. Mm-hmm. How difficult was that for you? And what are you most looking forward to about calling, particularly basketball games in the Joel uh, this coming yeah. season? I'm still struggling with it. Uh, it's not real yet. You know, I haven't called a wake game yet. I haven't put on a wake polo yet. And uh, I've looked at rosters. <laughs> I can't, can't say I'm not starting to prep already. Um, but, um, you know, High Point's home for me. Um, it was always safe at High Point, right? Uh, I knew everybody. Um, I had been there for a long time. If people didn't know me on the admission side, they knew me on the athletic side. Um, maybe, I don't know, perhaps impacted more student lives on the, on the athletic side with public address. Um, there were probably only a small percentage of kids that didn't get to one basketball game, right? Their entirety of the four years. And, um, you know, not saying that they would remember me just doing that because they went to one game, but I've certainly had uh, a number of students in the past come back and say hello that knew me just because they were in the band. And the four years uh, that they were in the band, they loved the energy that I brought. It made them want to play with energy in the band. And, and that's a huge compliment. Um, but, um, you know, as far as things go for me, um, it, it, it's still like I'm going to walk back into the Cobain Center. Um, I don't quite have the mindset yet of 
<laughs> I'm going to wake. I just hope I turn the right way out of the neighborhood um, to go the proper direction the first game that I have. Um, but it's a necessary move. And that's what I've told myself. Um, I talk to a lot of people about the decision. And uh, what I'll keep going back to is what a number of people said. Uh, they said, you know, you're going to the ACC. You're going to a Power Five conference. Um, no matter if it was Wake Forest or another school in that level, they said, think about the coaches at High Point. Coaching in the Big South. If any of them had the opportunity to move to the ACC, don't you think they would take it? Uh, and I said, well, heck yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And they said, well, why wouldn't you? Why are you second guessing any of this? And uh, it was a great point. Um, certainly one that I took to heart, um, one that I, I thought a lot about. And, and, you know, in the end, when I made my final decision, um, it's going to be good to be under the lights at the Joel and uh, and having Florida or Rutgers or, um, you know, a number of other uh, non-conference programs in the house. Um, and, and that's no slight to uh, the Big South Conference or any of the opponents that we've ever had over the years at High Point. It's just, it's a different ball game, right, at that level. And so night in and night out, every game matters. Everybody's trying to make the tournament, right, or the postseason. And those non-conference games matter because they're building RPI and um, doing a number of other things to put themselves in a position to play in the postseason. So um, I'm going to see that right out of the gate as soon as we start. Um, on uh, Monday, November the 6th, I've already got that date sealed in for my first basketball games. And, and we start with a double header, right? So uh, let's, let's, let's be warmed up and ready because I'll have two of them right away uh, on, on day number one at Wake Forest. But um, volleyball will start with a tournament. So I've got a full weekend tournament for Wake Volleyball, uh, my first time uh, in the gym there with them. So um, it, 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 it was a tough decision. Again, hasn't hit me yet. Um, but it will. And um, I'll be professional about it when I get under the lights. It, it's going to be like what I've done, you know, the last 17 years at High Point. Uh, I'm going to get the names right. I'm going to make sure I know the kids beforehand. And um, I'm going to establish uh, a good relationship with the coaching staffs, I hope, um, so that they know and understand I'm on their side. I'm rooting for them. And, and this is how it's going to be. And what you see is what you get with with my style and what I do. Um, try to be as simple in game and just deliver the the information that the crowd needs uh, to know. Uh, but you know, I'll I'll try to work up player introductions and and some of the more fun stuff to get the crowd into it. That's that's uh, hopefully why they're bringing me in. So, so far in your career, what's been the crown jewel as far as games worked or athletes or coaches uh, who've been on hand for events you've called? It's got to be up there uh, as far as a high point event goes um, but but a number of times right we filled the new arena here over the first two years um those have all been great um but women's basketball the last year we were in the millis athletic and convocation center they finally did what no other basketball team at hbu has been able to do and um at home they won a big south conference championship and ended up uh, going to the NCAA tournament, uh, got faced with UConn in the first round, but that's all right. Um, that was that was the gift they received for, <laughs> for winning the Big South, uh, but they did it. And, you know, I had two goals that I really didn't I – di I didn't write these out or anything, but in my head as I started to progress and each year was asked back 
to to be the public address guy at High Point, I had two goals. One was to uh, get both basketball teams to an NCAA tournament. Um, the women made it, the men have not, but I feel confident with Coach Huss in place and, you know, some of the things they're doing in the transfer portal, they're going to get there soon. Um, the other one was to open a new arena. And so I, I got two of the three. So I'm batting uh, 667. I can't be very unhappy about that. Uh, that puts me that puts me in some kind of a hall of fame somewhere right and uh, so those were those that that was the biggest game for me I think just because of what was on the line it was like can we get this monkey off of our back we played in championship games for big South tournaments before both on the men's and the women's side had never won one so that was a big deal and uh, you know we 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 got to hold the trophy and take a picture and the whole nine yards with the team too. So that was kind of, kind of cool. Um, the opener in the new arena was pretty special. Uh, we had Mount Olive and most people will go, who is that? Uh, it was a nice return to our, or at least my division two days. Um, but it was, uh, you know, the school where Dr. Cobain started his educational career. Um, he went to Mount Olive first before he transferred over to High Point College. And so it was special for Dr. Cobain to have the Mount Olive Trojans in. And so we did. And, um, and, and that was a really special night. Uh, building was packed. And um, it, it, was, it was about as cool of a thing to do, right? To open a brand new facility, be the first one that speaks on on the microphone to a, a large crowd in there and that sort of thing. It was really pretty special um, for me to be able to do that. Um, I remember when we had our first big opponent in the Millis Athletic and Convocation Center, you might too, uh, back during the Nick Barber years, Wake Forest came over to High Point and played in the Millis Athletic and Convocation Center and we darn near beat them. We should have beaten them uh, inbounding under our own basket. I think we were only down one or two and uh, had a chance to tie it or take the lead. And we were on a, a big run. And, uh, and uh, you know, there was a turnover or foul or something called, something ticky-tack that caused it to go the other way. And it was Wake's ball. Um, it's funny now that that's kind of come full circle for me that I'll be doing their games. But, um, you know, let's not have High Point beat Wake now over, over at the Joel. That would be uh, – That'd really be something, but um, we should have we should have beaten Wake that night. We were the better team, and uh, that was really a special event because it was the first really big Power Five uh, Division One program that anybody had heard of that would, would take the chance to come over and play us in the Millis Athletic and Convocation Center, and that was that was really special. Um, number of other things I've gotten to do, um, you know, I had Villanova, Arizona State at Bubbleville. Um, preseason at the time, uh, they were both in the top 10 in the nation. Um, that was a big deal uh, to have Jay Wright on one side, Bobby Hurley on the other, and see these two uh, teams that were favorites to make the tournament and certainly make a run in the tournament at the end of the year, play each other literally right in the first week of the season. Um, and then, um, you know, just in the spring, having the ACC uh, tournament in Greensboro, um, I had Jim Beheim's last game ever. Uh, think about that career, um, whether you, whether you liked him, loved him or hated him or rooted against him or whatever uh, your position was with with Coach Beheim. Um, I mean, the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's a legend, um, not just in New York, but across the country in college basketball. You know, he's your 
uh, Mike Krzyzewski in North Carolina or Dean Smith. He's your um, John Wooden out West and uh, Tom Izzo, I guess, who's still at it right up in, in Michigan State. But he's that guy. And uh, to think that I had his last game um, is, is sort of a remarkable thing. So, yeah, pretty cool uh, to, to have college basketball at those levels. Um, as far as some other things, I've done a handful of minor league baseball, but got to do an Orioles affiliate, which is close to my heart. Being from Baltimore, I had the Aberdeen Ironbirds in Greensboro uh, last year. And then uh, with soccer, um, did the ACC men's and women's uh, semis and finals for the women, the finals for the men. Um, yeah, just really cool to have a number of uh, bigger teams and, and, and bigger games on my resume and um, certainly some memorable ones. Come to the segment I call start, bench, cut. Give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Nike, right. Adidas, Under Armour. Oh, man. <laughs> well, High Point was an Adidas school. Nike is uh, uh, with Wake Forest. Under Armour's Baltimore. You really put me in a tough position. Um, I'm going to start Adidas. I'm going to bench Nike until they change my mind here over the next year. And I'm going to cut Under Armour. I'm going to cut the hometown team. Isn't that terrible? But I am. Crab cakes, crab legs, soft-shell crabs. Uh, I am cutting soft-shell crabs. They're for people like my mom to eat, which is totally fine. Um, I will bench crab legs because I'm in favor of the crab cake. I'm that guy that doesn't want to do any of the work to get to what it is that I want. Um, and I actually had some from a Maryland friend that brought them down uh, just on Sunday night, uh, had crab cakes, and they were delicious. Um, thankfully, I cooked them and didn't mess anything up. So definitely starting crab cakes, benching the legs, and cutting the soft shells. Okay, baseball movies. Sandlot, Field of Dreams, Bull Durham. Oh, man. Um, let's see. I'm going to I'm going to start this is really difficult for me because I'm partial to the father son playing catch uh scenarios and scenes in in Field of Dreams. I'm going to start Bull Durham though. It is about as realistic of a movie about baseball as you can get, especially life in the minors. Um I'm glad you didn't throw major league into into the 3 because that would have really been difficult. So I'm going to start Bull Durham. I'm going to bench Field of Dreams, and I'm going to cut the Sandlot. That's tough for me. You're killing me, Smalls. I know. <laughs> See? I, I led you into that line, though. <laughs> what advice do you have for someone who wants to get into public address announcing? Um, do it. A lot of people are afraid to just speak in public. Um, doesn't matter the size of crowd. If it's three people or if it's 300 people, uh, they get scared. Don't be scared. Uh, there's nothing to be scared of. People want to know what you have to say. Um, and when it's just you in the microphone, honestly, it's just you in the microphone. I don't even see everybody else out there. Uh, and they almost get filtered, almost like I was pitching, right? Think of it that way as an athlete. Um, most pitchers, um, I, I think in, in another great baseball movie, right, for love of the game, you have Kevin Cosner sort of internally in his mind say, cue the mechanism, right? And everything goes quiet and the people go blurry. And, and that's what I can relate it to. Um, I don't see the people when I'm working a game. You do, but but you really don't. And I don't feel like I'm talking to all of them, even though I am. Um, so just do it. Try it. 
um, if you're a good speaker, uh, and you know, that's not even a requirement, but if, if you think you're a good speaker, um, it's something that that everyone should do because it will make you a better speaker, um, and not just on a microphone, but with anything that you do. I do a lot of presentations. I do a lot of Zoom meetings. Um, as this interview has sort of uh, maybe cued everybody in on, especially you, brevity is not my strong suit. So I'm glad everything's scripted. That I <laughs> pretty much everything that I have to read uh, is scripted because I'll go on and on and tell stories and and, and things like that. But um, it, it is it is actually um, it's therapeutic for me. It relieves a lot of stress. Um, you know, I, I, I'm a very positive person anyway, uh, but I could have a really bad day or a poor day at work. You never know it when I walked in the arena. Um, it's like a new life. It's like a new person. And um, and it has um, it's become a part of me. A lot of people ask me to say certain things or do certain things that I may, uh, you know, say on a microphone at times, um, which is, I don't know, that, that it gets kind of, <laughs> kind of silly every once in a while. So I'll actually shut it down. But um, but that's something that it's nice to be noticed, I guess, by other people in the community that 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 you do that and you do a good job with it. So, um, you know, and, and just what I told you before, get the names right, do your homework. Uh, there are teams and people that um, take a, a, a real um, interest in in the work that you put in and, and are very thankful that you that you do that for them um, to that level and not just for them, but for the student athletes. So that's my advice. Um, do it. Don't worry about the people. Don't worry about who's listening. Be you and, and get the names right. Uh, that's great advice. What are three guests I should have on the podcast? Um, Jason Benetti would be awesome if you're able to get in touch with him and I might be able to help you with that. I'm uh, I'm gonna go Alan Roach. If he answered my email, he might get on your podcast and uh, and maybe be able to offer some advice that uh, even I didn't. Um, I can connect you to him as well. Ryan Ripkin, Cal Ripkin's son's really doing a lot of stuff uh, very similar to you in this regard uh, around Baltimore sports. He'd be awesome too. <laughs> Listeners wanting to get in touch with you, email, social media, what have you. What's the best way? Yeah, uh, so I I do have a YouTube channel. If you search Joe Christie, Christie C R I S T Y. Uh, that's, that's pretty easy to find some of my clips. Um, but, um, Facebook, uh, Twitter and, um, and LinkedIn, very easy to find me as well. Joe Christie, Joe, J O E Christie, C R I S T Y at Joe underscore Christie on Twitter. So pretty easy to find me link, link up anytime. Joe, can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast, my man. David, thank you. And congratulations, new head coach at Fork Union Military Academy. I love it. So proud of you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.